Good morning, City Light. It's good to be with you this morning. Have your Bible. Let's open up to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. That's where we will be this morning. For this fall season, we've turned to the Elijah-Elisha narratives, 1 Kings and into 2 Kings, because in such evil days, we need God's mercy and we need God's power. And this is what he gave in those days. And as God does not change, this is what he does in these days. Please remember where we are. Um, we're in the history of Israel. And in the days of, of Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, this was a united kingdom. But after Solomon, this kingdom divided into a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom, Judah. And they each had their own kings. And for the most part, all the kings were evil, except for some of the kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. And year after year and decade after decade, these kings would reign and continue. Evil would progress more and more. And the word of God would come forth to God's people to call them back to faithfulness, to covenant faithfulness. So Elijah was sent to King Ahab with the word of the Lord at the beginning of chapter 17 to declare a drought. Last week, Pastor Christian showed us that during this drought, then the Lord sent Elijah to a Gentile widow in Zarephath, and we see the miracle of multiplied oil and multiplied flour and provision and care for this widow. Her son would die, and Elijah would raise him by the power of God. This is where we are. We have been in drought. We have been in famine. And please know as we come to these old texts, to this old story, that everything is working together for God's purposes, both on the world stage and in our individual lives. God is doing so much, so much at the same time. He is disciplining his people, but he's also caring for a widow. And so in this day in which so much is happening on the world stage, also know that he cares for you in your life and in your home. For such days we need God's mercy and power. Let's come to 1 Kings 18. We will read the first 16 verses. This is the word of the Lord. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water, to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. 
And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, He is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. We will pause there this week in God's word. And wait to go to Mount Carmel next week. Famine in the land. Look back at the first verse in 2. Many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. It is now time to go show yourself to Ahab. The famine was severe. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time for drought, and there's a time for abundant rain. There's a time for private workings, and there's a time for public witness. For the past years, Israel has been experiencing famine. And in the times and seasons of our life, even this year, as we've, this week as we've experienced the, the crisper air and the change of seasons, the question must be asked us, do we know the season of our life that we're in right now? Do we know the season of our land in this time? Water is essential for life. And in the wonder of God's creation, we are the only planet in our solar system where it exists in all three states of matter, solid, liquid, and gas. And this works in water cycle to, to rain upon the land, even upon the just and the unjust. And yet by God's decree that created this, God's decree can dry it up. And so for these past three years, there has been no rain or dew in Israel. How many of you have been in severe drought before, severe famine? I doubt many of us. The most that we've ever had are some water restrictions, like don't water your lawn or don't wash your car. The biggest inconveniences we've had is like, oh, I can't get that particular fruit at the grocery store this year in abundance. We don't know what it's like to have drought and famine. 
and to be scouring for survival. But this is what daily life was like in Israel at that time. But why? It was because of a drought of God's, of God's people being faithful to God. For decades, they had been unfaithful to God. There had been a drought of faithfulness to God. Ahab himself, chapter 16 records, he was the son of Omri, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. The evil is accumulating. The evil is progressing. There's a drought of faithfulness, of worship unto God. And so God sends a famine upon the land. This is the judgment of evil, and this is the discipline for God's people. And everyone was suffering. Starving. Dying. Would God's people repent, especially Ahab? What's life like in our land today? Are we just so well watered in faithfulness and to God? Is this how we would characterize the American church? I've told you, I feel like we're, we've become, there's been an accumulation of progressiveness of worldliness. And even in a survey released this past week or two by Ligonier, their annual survey, the state of theology in the church today. Here's what evangelicals responded with. Those who, who say, yeah, we're Christian, really Bible-believing Christians. To the question, Jesus is a great teacher, but not God. What did self-identified evangelicals, 30% said they disagreed with it, or they agreed with that statement. 30% of those evangelical respondents said, Jesus is a great teacher, but not God. Well, now we're down to 70% evangelicals. God accepts the worship of all religions. 42% of self-identified evangelicals ag agreed with that statement. Oh, we're now down to 58. Everyone sins, but most are good by nature. 46 agreed with that statement. The state of our church. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The time of judgment is to begin at the household of God. 1 Peter 4.17 So there is a famine in our land, and now there's going to come a famine as God's common grace retracts from us. And we are handed over to the lust of our hearts. There's a famine of saving grace. How many baptisms have we been to these last couple years? How many stories have you hold of someone coming from darkness, the domain of darkness, to light these past years? In this day, there's a famine and there's progressivism. We're ignoring and revising the past. This is what I read this past week. Once again, my illustrations are weekly. 63% of millennials and Gen Z don't know that 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust. In the ignoring and the revising of the past, 
Our younger generations don't even know the horrors there, and we're just being handed over to the lust of our hearts. Cultural strife, psychological spiraling, social unrest. I said last two weeks ago, we're living in a Romans 1 moment. Every generation is living into it to some degree. We're feeling it. Although we know God, we have not honored him as God or given thanks to him. We have become futile in our thinking and foolish in our hearts. Therefore, God is giving us to the lust of our hearts, to dishonorable passions and debased minds. There's a famine here. And in three years into a famine, when everyone's just trying to survive, is anyone in Israel, especially King Ahab, calling out to the Lord? Or are we just trying to get by through each day, hoping normal returns? And in our day, are we just hoping normal returns? Or are we calling out to the Lord? King Ahab has been confronted by God's word through Elijah, but he is not repenting. I'm telling you, and the Lord is, he's in the details. He cares for Elijah by the brook. I mean, ravens are delivering food to him. He's then sent to a widow when the brook dries up. He's caring for this widow to show that God's heart is even for the nations. Not just the nations, people, individuals. But now the word of the Lord comes again. Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Everything happens by God's word, in God's timing, for God's purposes. So for such evil days as these, we need God's mercy and power. Verse 3, Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. We get introduction to a new person here, Obadiah. It's a very common name. The name itself means servant of Yahweh, servant of the Lord. This is a common name. This is not the same prophet by the same name who has the shortest book in the Old Testament, one chapter, 21 verses. This Obadiah is in charge of Ahab's household. He's a high official in the royal court. Translates, he's like the chief of staff. He works for Ahab, but he fears the Lord greatly. He is a devout believer of the one true God. Oh, do you feel the tension already? He is caught in the middle. He is serving an evil king, one who's not been as evil as anyone before him, and he, he loves the Lord. He's serving the Lord, fears the Lord greatly. He is a man caught in the middle. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And Jesus sends us into this world where we work in godless institutions. How do we do that? How do we do this, Lord, where you say we can't serve two masters, and yet we're not to be taken out of this world, but we're sent into this world to do your will? Now, this isn't necessarily the, the reality for me and Pastor Christian, where we're not like, caught between like an evil boss and fearing the Lord greatly, unless the membership just kind of turns on us. But many of you are. Many of you are. 
Some of you actually work for an employer or have a supervisor who is Christian. And you should thank God for that. You should get, thank God for the grace of just being able to have a, a common faith, the fellowship of the Spirit, a partnership in the gospel. Some of you study or work for non-Christians. And some of these are just good people. They're fair, ethical, sometimes maybe even more so than those in the church. But some are harsh, and some are very antagonistic. So how do you live in the tension of being faithful to God and having fidelity at work? Look to Obadiah. We're going to see him live in this tension, but the examples are all across the Scriptures. What are the principles here that the Lord gives us on how to be caught in the middle, to live in two worlds, to not be of this world, but be in this world, to be working for evil people, people who do great evil, but also fearing the Lord greatly? First of all, principle one, Jesus prays for you, us. John 17, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And this prayer, it gets applied to those who would believe because of the, disciple, the apostles' word. So I count this as a prayer prayed for us as well. We are not to live some monastic life isolated from the world. Rather, we live in the world fearing the Lord greatly, loving our neighbors, and being bold witnesses. But how? Obadiah worked for Ahab, but the greater task was to remain faithful to the Lord. We work in this world, but we serve the Lord. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men. What is most important is not your annual review, but your reception by the Holy God, the Creator of all. So once again, we got to think through what's most important to us. Do we have pride in our resume, our accomplishments? Or in God's revelation? Do we trust in our performance or in God's work? Do we have more joy as others give us acceptance or because of our salvation in the Lord? Obadiah worked in Ahab's house, but he served and feared the Lord. Principle three, Jesus commands us to be both bold and blameless, wise and upright. As we're caught in this middle, there's principles, there's virtues that the Lord will give us by His Spirit. He's speaking here of the coming persecution, but this will actually go to even persecution in the workplace. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Matthew 10. Illustrate that for me, Derek. Easy. All the way across the scriptures. Exodus 1. These Hebrew midwives, do you remember? They feared the Lord, 
But they were caught in the middle because Pharaoh is now telling them they want to do population control. Kill the Hebrew baby boys that are born. They were caught in the middle. So how do you be wise as a serpent, but also innocent as a dove? Uh, they, didn't, they didn't kill the boys. But then when Pharaoh comes, the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the, they said, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can even get to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. How did Israel become great in the land of Egypt? By unnamed midwives in the scriptures, because they feared the Lord greatly and were wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The book of Daniel. We're now in exile to Babylon, but Daniel and the other youth resolved themselves not to eat the king's food. Those in charge, the mid middle management, those in charge of Daniel and the youth are now fearful. I gotta keep you healthy and ready to go before the king. He's gonna hold me responsible if you guys look weak and sickly. And Daniel said, let us only just eat water and vegetables for a set time. And let's see what happens. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And some of you nutritionists are probably going like, yeah, that's because of all the carbs and sugars and just cleaned it out. Third, while Paul was persecuted and imprisoned in Rome, who supported him? Philippians 4.22 says this, those who belonged to Caesar's household. Once again, unnamed people in the scriptures. But these are people who were caught in the middle, working for Caesar, but supporting the apostle. Such is oft the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Small hands do them because they must, while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. We're all trying to be great, but it's the, those who take the low position, who are the servants of all, who come with the faith of a child. These are the ones who are moving the wheels of the world in God's kingdom. How are you facing conflict? Are you experiencing this? Some of you may not be feeling, but some of you are. How are you experiencing being caught in the middle, and there's conflict here, and there's temptation here? How are you being tempted to be unethical in your dealings in the workplace? To be compromising in your convictions? Or to be complicit in wickedness? Just passive, just complicit. Cowardly in your stands? Or hypocritical in your faith? This is the warning of Jesus. What good is it if you, someone gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits their own self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What's our Monday to Friday life look when we feel caught in the middle? We work in this world, but we're serving the Lord. How is Obadiah going to handle this? Verse 4, Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. 
So Obadiah took a hundred prophets, hid them by fifties in a cave with bread and water. Jezebel. This was the foreign woman whom Ahab married. There's nothing wrong against cross-cultural marriages and such. But what came with her was this domineering woman who politicked to have her God, Baal, have equal standing with Yahweh for the worship of the people. Jezebel. Even when I say that name, how many baby Jezebels have we welcomed into? That, that, in, that word, that name has just come, comes with now a connotation. In the book of Revelation, to the letter of Thyatira, this is the letter Jesus sends to them. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Jezebel, that's symbolic of a group of, of a person or a group of people who are leading God's people astray, a Jezebel spirit. In the mid-1500s, John Knox, the English Revolution, Reformation, you know what he called Mary Tudor? Bloody Mary? Jezebel. You know what he called Mary Stuart, Queen of Scots? Jezebel. Do you want me to name political leaders from here? No, we're too nice. We're too sanitized. Derek, no, no, those are just for... We used it in a sentence for me, Derek. Okay? Netflix is so Jezebel. I can just talk to the institution or the product. Are we ready to go names yet? Jezebel was cutting off the prophets of the Lord. Food and water were scarce. Commodity prices were probably out of sight. And he still was able to provide for a hundred hidden prophets against the murderous rage of an evil king and queen while managing the daily duties of Ahab's household. See, in the secular world, if we want to use that word, Ahab had skills of administration that got him promoted to be chief of staff. But now in this sacred, sacred realm, the kingdom of God, he served the Lord with these same aptitudes to care for the prophets of the Lord. It was the same person, Obadiah, with the same aptitudes working in both realms. And too often we are, we are so tempted to separate these realms, sacred and secular, weekday and Sunday and Home and, church, home and work and church. We, we did that for generations. That's why we had a Protestant Reformation. We had to bring those back together to see that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to bring our worlds back together. To, to cast down this secular, sacred divide. To reclaim this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers did not make everyone into church workers. Rather, it turned every kind of work into a sacred calling. That's Gene Veith in a book called God at Work. 
your Christian vocation, and all of your life. We love God and we love our neighbors in our work. Please don't equate work just meaning employment. Work is also our employment, but it's all that we do in our home, in our church, in our workplace, in our society to love God and love neighbor, if I'm just making it that simple. How has the Lord gifted you, equipped you? You have experiences, talents, desires. How are you shaped? These are marketable. You can put them on your LinkedIn. You can get them on a resume. But they are purposeful for the service of the Lord. How have you experienced this? How your training, how your talents are applicable in different life spheres in this entirety of life? And this is what we need to pray about. Please do not think that what Pastor Christian and I are doing is it's different. It's different. And we all have a part in our, the body of Christ. And all are to be valued and esteemed. What you may do in your workplace may be the very way you love your neighbor, even this church. Obadiah uses skills to both serve an evil king and to save the Lord's prophets. And for a time, Obadiah was able to be wise and blameless in both. And it was imperiling his life to do so. But deeds will, no, will not be less valiant because they are unpraised. I mean, Jesus tells us this, like, when you do something with your right hand, don't make, make sure your left hand doesn't even see what you're given. Like, don't do things to be praised. Obadiah is not getting any praise. He's actually trying to keep everything under wraps. He doesn't want public acclamation. He wants to just be incognito. And in the last chapter, last week with Pastor Christian, the Lord used extraordinary, miraculous means to provide for, wit for Elijah and the widow. I mean, we got, somebody said that we got door dashed by ravens, like dropping food by the brook. We got like, we don't even need to go to the store because the jars never empty. Well, there's more oil, there's more flour. Next day, there's more. It's miraculous. But, please hear this, because we'll get caught in chapter 17 and not see 18. Here the Lord used ordinary means to provide for these endangered prophets. Just the mere work and generosity of Obadiah. One person writes, although God is capable of providing for our needs with miraculous providence, his usual procedure is to provide through ordinary means. And are we just waiting? Are we just waiting day after day after day? Lord, I just need this miracle, I need this miracle, I need this miracle. And we totally miss the daily providence through ordinary means that the Lord has set in our lives. Now one of these prophets could have like jumped out of the cave and run down to the brook and waited for a raven and demanded a miracle, but he would have been outside of God's providence. God's providence for him was to wait till Obadiah came with the bread and the food and the water. Are we praying miracles for other people, 
But yet God says you have it in your own hands to answer that prayer. Obadiah, or Lord, save these hundred prophets. Well, you're a chief of staff. You got administrative skills. I've gotten you access here to this food. Hide them up. Get it to them. Be the answer to the prayer. So our love and our generosity should be such that it actually can be the answer to other people's prayers. And then that makes our prayers even bigger because we're praying for something we can't do ourselves. Too often we're praying for things that we could actually just do if we were just faithful and obedient to do it. But the prayers we need to be praying are, God, I can't do this. It's beyond anything I know or how to do. You've got to show up. So Obadiah worked in this world, but he served the Lord. Ahab said to Obadiah in verse 5, go through the land. Come on, let's, let's try to save the horses and the mules alive. We, perhaps we can find grass. We don't want to lose any animals. So they went through, they divided it up, divide and conquer. They went through the land. A scouting mission. Ahab and his chief of staff. With the people with the people suffering from drought, their king is out looking for grass to save the animals. And we want to care for God's creation. But these are image bearers of God who are suffering. And their king is not himself leading in repentance and calling out to the Lord. Ahab was worried about grass when he should have been worried about the wrath of God. Just look around, this person writes, every day millions of people set out to serve and save themselves, ignoring or denying the very wrath of Almighty God. We prefer to make a living than to meet with God. Worried about just finding grass than the wrath of God. Ahab, I mean, he was expending a lot of energy, out to just scour the land. But think of the energies, the, the time, the resources that we have that we're ex extending ourselves. We're going through the land of on-demand entertainment for escape. But I've already told you Netflix is Jezebel. Going through the land of social media for connection. We're going through the land. I need an activist call to hook up to. That's for purpose in my life. Going through the land, virtue signaling so that you'll accept me. Going through the land of progressive culture for my new morality. Going through the land of experts so that I may have safety. I'm going through the land of new government for security. But is anyone just stopping and just calling out for the Lord? This is the drought we're in. Call out to the Lord. Repent of sin. Call him. He is merciful. He is abounding in love. His mercies are new every morning we read. Slow down. He will turn. We're not, we've, his mercy is more. We've not out the grace of God. So even though we've been fools and hypocrites and we sing about it, we've gone too far out, we can always stop where we are and cry out to the Lord. Obadiah knew this. He knew what to look for. And even before Jesus said it, Obadiah was seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added. 
Verse 7, Obadiah was on his way, but behold, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, fell on his face and said, it is you, my Lord, Elijah. There was honor, recognition, esteem there given to Elijah. And he answered, it is I. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. I want to tell you, Obadiah is caught in the middle. He's been caught in the middle between Ahab and Yahweh, the Lord. But now he's going to feel being caught between Ahab and Elijah. Ahab's been scouring everywhere looking for Elijah. And you know where he's been? And it's pretty much his own backyard. The Lord has miraculously hid Elijah for these past years. Ahab can't find him. And now he just suddenly appears to Obadiah, his servant. And Obadiah tells him, you know who I am, right? I've hidden the prophets. But Obadiah is now, and it's a different time now. We've been doing private workings, secret workings here to save these prophets. But now comes this man, Elijah, on the scene, and it's going to get real. And it's going to be hard to just manage this. The time of private calculation is coming to an end here. The time of public confrontation is now here. Those with ears to hear, did you hear what I said? Private calculation is there for a season. There's things to be done. There's a time and a season for everything under heaven. Obadiah was not the one with the call to just go ramrod Ahab. That was Elijah's call, and there's time that's working out here in drought to discipline the people and to punish evil. But now Elijah is on the scene, and it's going to get real. And Obadiah is feeling this tension in his heart. Verses 9 all the way down. He's just saying, I don't... But here, Elijah, if I go and tell him, he needs to be looking everywhere for you. But if I go, man, the the Spirit of the Lord is just going to take you somewhere, and then I'm going to be left high and dry. Then he's just going to kill me. I mean, I really feel for Obadiah, man. He's been masterful. He has been working this with such, such skill to do this, but now this, is get, this, this apple cart's getting upended because Elijah says, I'm here, Ahab. Why didn't, as they're in different places, why didn't the Lord just have Elijah go and meet Ahab? Because the Lord has a work he wants to do in Obadiah's heart. Obadiah's got to now wrestle this. I've, had, I've controlled this. My heart's been genuine. I've been doing well. I'm, I'm trying to honor and fear the Lord. It's, he's been doing good, good work. But now the Lord's going to press him on it and just saying, you've done it in private. Now it's going to get public. How's your heart now? And he's just a fearful. And I feel for him. What will happen I mean, is the Spirit of the Lord, he almost doubts God's care. Is the Spirit of the Lord just going to take you away and I'm going to be left to the wrath of Ahab? For some time, Obadiah has been managing public service or private service. But now it's time to go public. There's a time for private workings, but now there comes a time for public witness. Friends, there is a time to just have be in your prayer closet to just relish in the Lord. There's times to do and work in generosity that no one sees and no one praises. But he's also sitting us to be witnesses by the power of his spirit 
even in such evil days. With the progression of evil in our days, we're not going to be able to be such private disciples of Jesus. You're going to be ashamed of Jesus in this day? So that we can gain the world? The world's acceptance? But so lose our soul and him be ashamed of us and his coming? Now is the time for more public witness and prophetic voice, no matter the cost. How do you see this happening today? Are we going to be fearful for our lives, our reputations, our livelihoods, or are we going to be faithful to Christ? Verse 15, Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Obadiah has hidden the prophets from Ahab and Jezebel, but the history of God's prophets is a history of persecution. What do prophets do? Prophets have to come on the scene with God's word to call people to faith and repentance. Our flesh doesn't like being confronted by the calling out of our sinfulness. So the history of God's prophets is a history of persecution because prophets are usually met with rejection and hostility, dismissal, and even martyrdom. In Elijah's days, prophets were killed. Others were hidden. His own life was at risk. How would it be any different when the greatest prophet came on the scene? Do we want to hear God's word? Here's a false prophet. A false prophet will tell you what you want to hear. You're sending to ex- we're sending to exile. The Lord is disciplining us. And false prophets, oh, it's going to be good. Cool, just hang on. We're going to get back to normal for too long. And Jeremiah, the weepy prophet, is like, it's going to be like 70 years. Like, you just seek the welfare of the city. Just humble yourself. I mean, and, and he's just like, Lord, I wish you hadn't given me this. I, well, I didn't wish I was born. What? I mean, these prophets are tore up, but false prophets will just go along and just tell you what you want to hear, itching ears. Who are the false prophets of our day? But this is the history of the prophets. It's a history of persecution, and we should not be surprised when we see the last and greatest prophet appear, the Lord Jesus Christ. Prophets come with the words of God, and Christ came with the words of God. But here, friends, do you hear this? Christ himself was the word of God and is the word of God. He is the word of God come and dwell among us, putting on our humanity, the fullness of God and the fullness of our humanity in one person, dwelling with us and prophetically calling us to repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of God is near. He gave us good news, but he called us from our sin in faith and repentance. Because this is the good news we need. The good news you need is not to be told how good you are. Because if you are good, you don't need a Savior. He didn't come for the righteous. I mean, he came into this world for the sick. But if you're well, just go home, be fine. But if you're sick and needy, and you know how wretched your sin is, we need a Savior. So the good news is, That God comes to save. 
Not just pat us on the back and affirm us, well, you're a good person. Like 46% of the rest of the evangelical church. And you know what we did to him, to this prophet? He spoke words which were hard, words which didn't make sense, otherworldly words that confronted our sin. You know what we did? We killed him. We crucified him. Oh, it's just such evil against the Son of God. And he did it willingly with joy set before him because even our act of evil against God's prophet, capital P, was actually the eternal plan of God working out. What we intended as for evil against Jesus, God intended for good for so many. This is our salvation. The one who didn't deserve death, he died in our place. The one who had no sin, he took sin debt upon him. So that in his death, that wrath of God is now satisfied. That justice is now satisfied so that his righteousness now becomes my righteousness. I'm forgiven of my sin. And in raising from the dead, he is Lord, victor over sin, death, and evil, now sitting at the right hand of God. That's the prophetic word we need to hear again, the power of the gospel. And do you believe it? Or would you rather some different message this day and in this time? Verse 16, Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Obadiah was initially fearful, but he did obey God's word. And you may be fearful for what God's calling you to. You've been living in the middle, in the very place the Lord has put you, in the very place God has gifted you. And you've done it, and you're working in the world as under the Lord, and you're fearing Him, and you've done it with faithfulness. But I'm telling you, there's a time for that. And you do it. We'd love to just pray. We could just live quiet, peaceable lives. That's a good prayer. But I don't, this is a day, be careful. Why didn't he just go straight to Ahab? Because God was after Obadiah's heart. And I think God is after our hearts this day. We can, we can be here, but if we're going to get comfortable here, and we're just going to be more secret and private and never have bold witness or proclamation Unto Jesus, and we'll be unfaithful. We work in this world, but we serve the Lord. There's a time for private workings. There comes a time for public witness, no matter the cost to us. Let's pray.